0: Hi, and welcome back to the Voice First Roundtable for September the 6th, 2017. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our sponsor for the Voice First Roundtable is Voice XP, blazing the trail in voice technology. Voice XP is taking the lead in developing Alexa skills for some of the best brands in the world. With Voice XP, all you have to do is say it to revolutionize your marketing strategy, check out what these folks are doing at VoiceXP.com. We are really, really thrilled, really honored to be joined today by Tim O'Reilly. Tim, say hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. You are a noted tech business person. Your career is is pretty well known. Uh, we're not going to dwell on that. We're going to get straight into talking about voice technology. But the first question I want to start with is: Do you personally own a smart speaker in your home, like an Echo or a Google Home? And if you do, what do you use it for?
1: Yes, of course I do. In fact, I have uh, several of them. And uh, I, I actually have a uh, an Echo and a Google Home sitting side-by-side side on my kitchen counter, and I, I basically test them against each other. Uh, last year, I actually wrote a, a piece called What Would Alexa Do?, uh, you know, about sort of lessons on UI from the Echo and from Alexa for not just not just for other you know, developers like Google of voice services, but just in general for how to think about AI based services. So, you know, I ask it lots and lots of interesting questions just to see how it handles them. And so I think because a lot of what I'm interested in is how does voice become a critical part of the technology infrastructure of the future and where are we along that curve? Sure. So, but but I also ask it routine questions. You know, I like, so what's the weather today? You know, what's the weather in Boston where I'm headed? Uh, you know, th- these kinds of things that you can do on your smartphone, but it's so much more convenient to be able to do them uh, while you're going about your business. You know, you're, you're making breakfast or, you know, getting ready to go out the door. Uh, you know, calling a car sometimes, playing music, asking for, uh, you know, recipe conversions. You know, these are, are, are sort of common tasks, they're not hard. But the, the issue is that you start thinking about using a, a sort of the information access of the internet in a context where you wouldn't have done it before. You know, your hands are dirty. Sure. Uh, your uh, hands are occupied. And of course, that changes the way you start using a voice on your other devices. For example, I sometimes sit and I find myself dictating an email on my phone while sitting in front of my computer, because why not? Uh, You know, the the two just become alternate uh, ways of doing the same task that you already do. Uh, The the, the thing that's sort of interesting to me is also how a screenless device like the Echo uh, really advanced the state of the art in user interfaces. You know, a lot of the problems that have come with voice on smartphones is it's not the native UI. It's this add-on. And you see these crazy artifacts of not going voice first. And, and I think that you know, just like you know, companies had this big wake-up call that they had to do mobile-first design as opposed to retrofitting uh, you know a, a web design for a larger screen onto the phone, uh, you actually had to think, this is my primary device. I think uh, there are a lot of situations where we really have to think of the, you know, the speech interface as the primary interface. And once you get that right, You can actually build a better, leaner, smarter touchscreen
0: interface as well. You know, obviously, we're big believers. We've named our podcast network Voice First FM. (laughs) So obviously, we're all in on that. It's fascinating to hear somebody who's been around technology as long as you have, who's as smart as you are, who's using the Echo and the Google Home in the way that You know, everybody is, Uh, young people, old people. The fascinating thing is everybody's sort of taking to this technology the same way. And this leads me to my follow-up. With how you're using it, um, you know, you sort of take into it quickly. Are you concerned about privacy with devices like these? And, And if so, to what extent?
1: Well, here's my basic thinking on this. If you're concerned about privacy with the Echo and Google Home, why are you carrying around an internet-connected microphone in your pocket all the time? Sure. Uh, you know, come on, give, give me a break. You know, if somebody's going to hack uh, the Echo or Google Home to listen in on you, uh, your TV, uh, this TV's being sold that can that have, uh, you know, can listen to you. Uh, you know, phone systems that could be hacked to listen to you. And in particular, you know, every single cell phone has a microphone in it that could be hacked to listen all the time, you know. So yes, uh, you know these things are set up to, to be listening for that Q word, but they're not listening all the time. And uh, you know this reminds me a lot of the the fears from the early days of the internet. Oh, you couldn't possibly put a credit card onto a, onto a website. It would be you know <laughs> you know uh, crazy. The idea that people who are carrying around a device that tracks their location in real time and uploads it not just to Google or Apple for their Maps app, but uploads it to every cell carrier, cell carrier knows exactly where you are all the time. And then they're worried that somebody might, you know, hack into this speaker and listen in on them. You know, come on, we're living in a world of such persistent surveillance that if we don't trust our providers, uh, you know, we are you know, I guess a few bricks short of a load. I mean, I guess now that doesn't mean that, that there aren't real you know risks, but let's be real about what the risks are. They are of, you know, companies using our data against us and not of this. Uh, I mean, again, yes, there are, you know, we are increasingly living in a world of systems that can and will be hacked. So there's a whole sort of set of security questions that have to be you know, tackled seriously by the vendors. But just the, the fear of it as a novel kind of device being scarier than things that we already take for granted, that's where I kind of go, come on,
0: you know, sure. get over. Well, and people, uh, people scare easily, Tim. So these, these type of things need to be discussed. But yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, you know, and I think that's a beautiful thing about Amazon In many ways leading the way in that they are such a trusted company to so many because so many people touch them from a customer service standpoint that they've cultivated a unique trust uh, that's allowed them to sort of lead the market. So anyway, it's good to hear uh, your thoughts on that. You wrote recently in a post, uh, it was fascinating, we going a link to it in the show notes, whenever one thing becomes commoditized, something else becomes valuable. And that's pretty keen insight, and it's very applicable to what's going on in voice technology. You know, smart speakers, everybody's coming out with a smart speaker. You know, if you have a shingle outside your office. You know, you're coming out with a smart speaker in 2018. Um, and so the valuable part becomes how to take advantage of the processing and the developments uh, under the hood that have taken place. And the question for you is, are we watching the dot-com boom all over again? You know, what, From you, where you sit, your very unique vantage point on tech, what do you think uh, we're in for with the rise of voice technology in general and where are we headed in the next few years?
1: Well, first off, I would say that the, yes, it's quite clear that the hardware is going to be something of a commodity. But I don't, I think that there's clearly going to be winners and losers in the smart speaker race. And, you know, there's going to be niches. I mean, for example, you know, there's a niche for, you know, higher audio quality, you know, but for people who mostly want to listen to music. And that may be that it's quite possible that the people who make, you know, music systems uh, Will do a good job of doing that, or maybe they'll take the path of integrating with the Echo or Google Home or whatever. I think the idea that you'll build a successful business just building a speaker probably not. It's a feature. The voice platform is what matters, and then the voice applications. We haven't yet really, I think, seen the voice applications of the future, and uh, you know what I mean by that is that often the breakthroughs in technology take time to accumulate. You know, look at, at something like Uber and Lyft, you know, this ability to summon a car. Okay. You know, there's a guy named Sunil Paul who patented all the ideas from, you know, that were to become Uber and Lyft in 2000. Hmm. But not enough people had smartphones, you know, and there weren't any investors uh, who, who would back the idea. And those things were just part of the, Of the model, I mean, but you know, you you think about—you have to have ubiquitous GPS with a critical mass of people carrying phones, both potential drivers and potential passengers. Uh, You have to have ability to take payment seamlessly over the net, uh, you know, without this this, you know heavy overhead. You had to have the breakthrough in a business model that didn't say, "Oh yeah, you know, we're going to work with the taxi companies," you know, like Taxi Magic, the first startup in this space did. You know, you have all these different things that come together, and then somebody says, oh my gosh, this really works. So I look, for example, at the rise of AR, uh, augmented reality, as uh, this next emergent wave of technology, and then you think about speech in that context. You know, I'm thinking about the first generation HoloLens, and I'm kind of making these funny gestures to pick from a virtual keyboard, and I go, come on, you know, I just want to talk to this damn thing. (laughs) You know? sure. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, we're going to be wearing, you know, whether it's the next generation of HoloLens or the next generation of Google Glass or Snap Spectacles, we're going to talk to it. I'm sorry. We're not going to be typing on a keyboard. And increasingly, we're going to be in a world where there are a lot of actions uh, for which just talking to your, adv- uh, your devices, really talking to your house, talking to your room, talking to your car is going to be the natural way that you access uh, information services. And HoloLens, for example, has done a great job of kind of going, okay, what we're really doing is we're creating these set of virtual overlays, and you can have different screens and different, you know, spaces, and they're oriented in whatever way you want, where you can kind of be looking at the real world. You can kind of go, okay, but now I'm in this information space, and I'm looking effectively at virtual screens. But you also could see this... Uh, you know, being simply a feature of a physical built environment, an office. All these pieces are going to arrive, and then one day we'll see that the world is just very different. Somebody's going to come through with a real breakthrough product. Echo was a breakthrough product, but the, there's going to be just a real level beyond that in the same way that the iPhone, you know, kind of broke open the smartphone market. And, and it will be somewhere, I think, in that conjunction
0: of ambient AR and ambient voice. I look forward to that, uh, as has been well documented on some of our shows at different times. Children today are growing up interacting with voice first devices and becoming acclimated to. In expectation, they can and they should be able to do that. Um, you know, my wife and I have a five year old son, and he's quite comfortable telling Alexa uh, when he's allowed to to turn on Nature Cat. Um, you know, and and play nature cat or or play, uh, you know, Daniel Tiger or whatever, or ask the weather or or oh, get yeah. other information.
1: Well, um, yeah, and it's so interesting because when you think about something like that, I, I think of an interaction seeing my daughter and my my grandson where he he's sort of shouting, Alexa, you know, set volume to <laughs> eleven. Like, Alexa, set volume to six, and you know, you start thinking, oh, well, what's one of the the, the steps in? in a conversational UI is understand that of these two speakers, you know, this voice has sort of uh, authority over the other voice. You know, that's kind of uh, this thing that we haven't even really begun to think about and build in that, you know, if you have multiple people talking to to this device, who does it listen to? And and watching kids uh, and parents is a great way to kind of have that insight.
0: It is. And there's actually a fascinating new Amazon commercial for the Echo Show, which um, sort of scratches the surface of that. Do you own an Echo Show, by the way?
1: I don't. I, I, you know, it was funny because I I bought Echo Look, and it was so disappointing that
0: I didn't uh, actually go and get the show. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Uh, yeah. Well, I think the Echo Look, you had to. I, I think you had to have access to that. I mean, I'm sure you, you could get. Uh, you know, make a call to Amazon, and they'll send you one. But I don't know oh, if it's yeah, yeah. uh, been available. But the Echo Show, um, you need to try that. Uh, You need to do that because it's um, you more than almost anybody else on the planet would appreciate the technology of the Echo Show. It's a magical Device, And I'm not former Amazon. I'm not current Amazon. You know, I, I just uh, own one and I've been able to see it. It's, it's, um, it's amazing, and especially talking about, as we did just now, as well as before the show, about the intersection of voice and, and different technologies such as AR. This is not that. This is just the intersection of voice with, uh, you know, with a screen, with a touch screen. Yeah, uh, voice first device, and uh, it's very obvious to see deeper glimpses into the future that you just described through the device. I'll uh,
1: okay, great. That, yeah, that, check yeah. that. Check that uh, out.
0: I'll take. I'll take your advice. Um, please, please do. You'll uh, you'll enjoy it. So, shifting gears, your career in in business and and really in tech has been built on books, from studying them in college to writing them and to publishing them. However, these days, most people don't read books, and this has been well documented. Um, and there's a lot of different reasons from educational, institutional problems to substitutes, you know, on the Internet. You know, people just read more, you know, long form articles. In your mind, is this just a natural ebb and flow? Are we just out of books? Are books out of vogue for the moment? Are they going to come back? And, and where does voice technology fit into the picture. You know, talk about intersection of voice with different technologies. Well, here's a technology, it's called a book. Um, yeah. What well, uh, What do you see for, for books and voice?
1: Well, a couple of things. Uh, first off, I, I would say it's not actually true that I am so deeply involved in publishing. Yes, it's where I got my start, uh, and it's still a, a part of my business. But I've been basically, many years ago, I realized that my fundamental business is Learning things from people at the cutting edge and sharing it with people who want to follow them, okay. and that that led us into you know doing events, which is now a bigger part of our business than publishing, and into building a, a large online learning platform, which includes not just you know, tens of thousands of ebooks, but tens of thousands of hours of video training. You know, we're really a technology transfer company and a sort of self-directed learning company. Just be clear about that. So sure. if, you go, if you go to O'Reilly.com, you really kind of understand that our platform is really at the heart. Our learning platform is really at the heart of what we do today. But that being said, you know, you think about learning in the age of voice, YouTube is probably the preeminent learning platform on the planet today, uh, you know, because it's a it's a, a marketplace for people who know how to do something. I, I think about YouTube videos that I consult periodically. It's like, oh yeah, how was it again that you do that incredible braiding uh, uh, technique for a long electrical cord, you know? And you watch the video, and you know, and, I, and one of the things I'm frustrated by is the videos are often too long. They're too got too much extra content in the beginning. In the way that uh, I think Alexa started to teach us the right way to build voice interfaces. You know, we're going to need to have new kinds of content that are, are responding much more intelligently and conversationally to this idea that this is just a question someone has. Let's get into the answer as quickly as possible. And we'll see in the same way that text started to optimize for taking you right to the answer. You know, these kind of voice queries will also take you right to the answer. And so this really becomes knowledge on demand. Mm. And, but that being said, books aren't going away. I mean, you know, there's a lot of evidence that actually sales of print books have not only, you know, stabilized, they've, they've kind of gone back up a little bit. Sure. And I think that it's important to realize that books have always been, you know, the avocation of a small percentage of the population. And they were a, an imposition on the rest, mm. <laughs> you
0: know. You know, I mean,
1: if you you look at, uh, I I still remember once, this is many, many years ago in Newton, Massachusetts, I was uh, renovating this old barn and I was having this carpenter uh, put in bookshelves, all, you know, the entire, you know, length of the wall. And he was like, how can you possibly need this many bookshelves? (laughs) He couldn't, you know, just didn't make any sense to him. He didn't, he never read a book. You know, that's true of so many people. You know, you have to realize that there were many people who read books, for example, in school because they had to. They were forced to. Uh, sure. And now, now, you know, so the, the, to me, you know, reading online, I mean, I certainly read way more magazine length content than I ever used to. I used to subscribe to magazines and never pick them up because I tend to prefer books. Hmm. Uh, and I've kind of gotten back, actually, in, in recent years Go Actually, I, I miss books and I, I'm reading a lot more again. Because I'm going, hey, I, wanna, I want the, the longer extended argument that I was missing. Uh, but again, even there, uh, you know, one of the strongest growing categories in books is audiobooks. And what is, in fact, a podcast, but a kind of audiobook? Sure. You know, when I think of, of something like you know, this, obviously, long-running you know, perpetual podcast, uh, then it is one-off podcast. But there's also interesting series, like Alexis Madrigal did an eight-part series on container shipping. And it's, hmm. uh, you know, it's called Containers. It's a great, great podcast. It's the equivalent of a book. And guess what? He's turning it into a book. All of these forms of media are ways of doing a job. And uh, when, you know, what we really have to understand is, what job are you doing? I used to give talks to publishers about this. And I would say, look, you know, uh, you know, the job I do is educating people about new technology. And I can do it in all these different ways. And I'm going to offer it to customers in all these different ways. Uh, you know, if you publish fiction, you know, you're competing with computer game developers. You know, your mm-hmm. choice of, you know, World of Warcraft or Harry Potter, actually, maybe that, that the, both of those products appeal to the same person. It's such a mistake to get caught up in, in these narrow categories of delivery mechanism rather than understanding what job you do for your customer.
0: Yeah, no, I, I would completely agree with that. And obviously, that's something that with O'Reilly Media, you've taken to heart and, and uh, you know, just following your business career has been big for me because what, I've, what I'm what i doing with my company mirrors in many ways what, what you've done uh, in a small way, what mirrors what you've done with, with yours. You know, we've, we've got a conference business, we've got Different vehicles for communicating and transferring information like you, you were speaking about. That's, that's fascinating to hear you talk about that. Let me ask you one more question here. And it's that, you know, a common theme of the shows that we have on Voice First FM, and it comes up all the time, is that the tech world right now to optimize, to maximize movement toward Voice First computing needs more talent with liberal arts backgrounds, linguistics, psychology, et cetera, etc. And, uh, you know, you yourself studied classics in college. So you're a pretty good example. Do you agree with that thought? And what would you tell young people who will be listening to this podcast, you know, college, high school students, college students, grad school students, what they need to be learning and studying in order to be part of this in the future?
1: Let me just say, it's not really what you study. It's what you care about. (laughs) You know, because if you care about interesting topics, you will follow them. The thing that I think is so important to understand about education is that it's fundamentally about encouraging people to build almost like a personal culture of learning, you know, to find ideas that become useful to you, to find ideas that become meaningful to you, to find things that are beautiful to you. And build from that a story about the world that is your own, so much of what we think of as learning is you know canned knowledge, and we don 't need canned knowledge anymore it 's all at our fingertips. Yeah. What we need is we need to understand what resources are out there you know, and we need to, to have you know new kinds of fundamentals of the skills to acquire that knowledge when we need it, but mostly we need curiosity and we need to engender a love of topics. You know I mean? I love ideas and I love learning new things. You know, we need to, you know, our education to spit out a generation of kids for whom learning is fun. You know, it, it's what you do and it's natural. You don't think of it as a chore.
0: No, this is great, Tim. I appreciate this. Uh, I appreciate you setting this time aside um, to join us on the Voice First Roundtable. Um, on October 10th, You've got a book coming out. It's called WTF, What's the Future and Why It's Up to Us. You need to stop what you're doing right now. Go on Amazon, hit the pre-order link for that, um, and purchase that so you'll have it the day it comes out. Share with us uh, a little bit about the book.
1: I chose the title WTF uh, because WTF is an expression of amazement or dismay, and it can be either. You know? like sure. you look at something and, and, you know, you go, WTF? I think of, of this amazing photograph. It was actually a giant photo mural in the Sydney airport in Australia. Okay. Um, people, uh, you know, I forget when it was, the, the first airplane came to Australia. And the look of wonder on the faces of thousands of people who turned out to see this plane come, from, you know, across the, the ocean uh, to their far shore it was so amazing, and now of course you you know you have the WTF of dismay when you see a passenger dragged off, you know, <laughs> United Airlines. Right? <laughs> this is our our set of choices with technology. You know, they they can be these, a source of amazement; and they can be a source of dismay, and that's why the title is uh, why it's up to us. Mm. Uh, you know, what's the future, and why it's up to us? I, the book is is really a meditation on what we learn from the great technology platforms about the future of the economy. And, and one of the key things that we we learn is that these platforms, really, they can't just serve their users. They have to actually create a rich ecosystem of suppliers. Mm. You know, part of the reason that Microsoft became less dominant was that they kind of ate the ecosystem. It was no longer a place of opportunity. So the people went over and the, and the opportunity became the internet. And so one of the things, for example, at O'Reilly that we have always focused on is you know, one of our, our, our slogans is create more value than you capture. Hmm. And uh, how we applied that in our own business, for example, is why we migrated away from publishing when all of these competitors just sort of just watched the market shrink, shrink, shrink. Because we said, we have to serve our customers. But we also have to serve our authors. And so hmm. we started finding, you know, one of the things that we realized that writing an O'Reilly book was a way of credentialing, you know, somebody as an expert And that they could then use that elsewhere in their career. It wasn't just what they got from the economics of the book. And so we said, okay, how else can we promote people? And we realized that conferences was not only consistent with what we did of bringing in knowledge, but it was also a way to feature our talent and to give them new ways of of being certified as experts. And so one of the big risks in these platforms is that they, they, they say, well, it's good for the users. You know, Google is, is one that's struggling, I think, hardest with this right now. You know, it's good for the users if we just deliver this information directly. But at some point, all those people who, you know, these companies that you have, whose service you have now sort of borged into your own, go away, and, and the internet is no longer a place of opportunity. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, Google starts to look more and more like AOL, you know and, and there'll be new kinds of of platforms and services you know because fundamentally Google depends on the ecosystem of people who create content who create new services and that Google helps them find google stops being the enabler of that ecosystem uh, which is has two sides has suppliers and and consumers and if it just says well we'll be the only supplier same thing with amazon you know uh if they start you know, competing with more and more of their sellers, the marketplace becomes less vibrant. And I basically look at that and I, I draw some conclusions from the economy because our, our economy is really also dominated by platforms, whether it's uh, the way that government operates or the way that financial markets operate. And when those finance, you know, people focus a lot on how government uh, you know, takes too much, you know, in, at least in our political discourse. I, I think that's actually not true. I think mm. government uh, is is inefficient and needs to be made to work a lot better. Uh, but we get a lot for what we we pay, and we could get more. But I look at financial markets, which now take 25% of all corporate profits with only 4% of uh, employment, mm. and you go, something seems a little out of whack there, you know, where, <laughs> where here was this, this industry that was a platform industry that was an enabler for the rest of the industry. And now, you know, companies are saying, well, we can't afford to pay our workers. We have to give the money, uh, you know, uh, we have to use the money for share buybacks, you hmm. know, sure. uh, to, to make our stock pr- go up. I mean, that, that's crazy. You know, we, we, we've seen this vast diversion of investment away from the real economy, You know, like retraining people, paying people better, uh, you know, just even hiring people all in service of increasing corporate profits, which are already at an all time high, uh, you know, to please Wall Street. So I actually have this uh, one sort of idea in my book that in some ways Wall Street has become the first rogue AI.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> that's interesting <laughs> yeah no that's great uh, and I uh, very much look forward to checking it out so much of a metaphor with what you were saying um you know about creating ecosystems and creating opportunity that way that applies to voice and the voice landscape wtf what's the future and why it's up to us tim thank you very much for joining us it was a pleasure great to talk with you too for the voice first roundtable thanks for listening and until next time